I'm Andy Otto. It's the 14th of August, and this is Thought Press. Social Security turned 70. The program was established in 1935 by Franklin Roosevelt to protect and insure American citizens against the loss of income due to retirement, death, or disability. We take a peek at FDR's signing of the act, how the system works, and what many Americans think about its future. Are radical changes necessary? We ask you to share your thoughts by calling our listener line. New York has released hours of audio documenting the horrors of the September 11th terrorist attacks. Also, scientists map the genetic blueprint of rice. What can this mean to the future of crops? We'll find out. And finally, the Indian film industry Bollywood, which is the largest in the world, is yearning for a change. At least some filmmakers are. You'll get to hear what the debate is about and why so many are stuck to the traditional storylines of love and rags-to-riches plots. You're listening to Thought Press. I'm Andy Otto. Welcome to Thought Press, where it's news plus more, and where we provide you with stories and sounds of the world, making you think and find things you never knew you cared about. Thanks for listening. If you love Thought Press, spread the word and give us your feedback. You can let us know what you think anytime by emailing us at thoughtpress at gmail.com. You can call our listener line any time of day at 206-33-THINK. That's 206-338-4465. And our website has a new welcome message. The address is thoughtpress.blogspot.com. There have been new tapes released Friday by a New York court that give compelling accounts of the September 11th terrorist attacks. These recordings give victims' family members understanding of the panic and chaos just moments before they died. Let's give you an idea of how much audio these recordings contained. A partial transcript was about 12,000 pages, and the audio can fill 23 compact discs. It's a lot of stuff, some survivors' accounts, but mainly firefighters' radio communications. In one recording, a frantic civilian is heard on an emergency radio channel begging for rescue from a fire truck where he took refuge just moments earlier as a mountain of debris from the first collapsing skyscraper crashed onto the ground. The unidentified man says his air supply is nearly exhausted, and it's clear that he became one of the nearly 3,000 victims of the terror attack. Monica Gabrielle, whose husband was killed in the attack, says, quote, We are one step closer to learning what happened on 9-11. The release of the information is not meant to be used to sensationalize the deaths of almost 3,000 innocent souls. It is meant for serious public scrutiny in order to, at the very least, mitigate casualties next time. Unquote.
Social Security has just turned 70. Young people have come to wonder what would be their lot when they came to old age. The man with a job has wondered how long the job would last. This Social Security measure gives at least some protection to 30 millions of our citizens who will reap direct benefits through unemployment compensation, through old age pensions, and through increased services for the protection of children and the prevention of ill health. That was President Franklin Roosevelt on August 14, 1935, just after he signed into law the Social Security Program. It's insured working families against the loss of income due to retirement, death, or disability. Don't know how it works? This 1952 government film might help. Here's how it works. Old age and survivor's insurance is earned by most of us because most jobs are now covered by the Social Security Act. After working about a year and a half, you become insured for the next year and a half. From then on, you're insured for an additional year for each six months that you work. At the end of ten years of work, you are insured for the rest of your life. A special provision in the law makes it easier for people already past middle age to become insured. The amount of work they need depends on how soon they'll reach 65. And if you're nearing 65, or if you've already passed that age, you may need as little as a year and a half of work performed at any time since 1936 to become insured for life. Contributions based on your earnings made regularly by you and millions of your fellow workers, plus equal contributions made by your employers pay for the program. These contributions are collected by the federal government. The government then holds them in trust for payment of benefits to you and your family. Social Security certainly is beneficial and was made to help those who cease working because of retirement or disability. But the program has been subject to great debate in past months. It began to blaze when President Bush made this a goal of his second term in office. A lot of us are getting ready to retire, and we're living longer. And interestingly enough, we've been promised greater benefits than the previous generation. So think about that. You've got a lot of people who will be living longer getting greater benefits. And to compound the problem for people sitting here today, particularly the young workers, there's fewer, fewer of you paying into the system. A recent AARP survey found that most Americans agree Social Security funds are in danger of depleting, and the majority don't have much confidence in the future of the program. But AARP Director John Rother feels the government should keep Social Security alive. People want this program protected. They want it to be strengthened. They actually want Congress to uh, take some action, but they do not want to see radical changes. Radical changes include personal investment accounts that would allow workers to invest a third of their Social Security funds. Though this cannot completely solve the problem, so citizens are encouraged to save on their own so they can supplement their government-given retirement benefits. Economist Christian Weller. The president has proposed that people can borrow money from Social Security, put that into individual account, and then upon retirement, they would have to repay that amount plus inflation 
plus market interest rate. Right now, the rate is at 2.7% above inflation. Only if you speculate in your rate of returns above the 2.7, you actually come out ahead. On average, you would come out not worse, not better off than you would and just simply leaving the money where it is. He says Social Security is a crucial benefit to middle-class citizens, and the government having to borrow money to pay is not good. AARP's John Rother. They think that it will be uh, their most single, most important source of retirement income, and people are actually willing to pay more in order to preserve the benefits that they know they will need, given the fact that there are other sources of retirement income from employers and from the stock market are less certain. So Social Security is the one thing they're counting on for their own future. It's an important program, and public pressure for change is there. Many want the system to stay as is. Others prefer that it can only remain if radical changes are made. What does the future of Social Security mean to you? How does it affect you? Times have changed since 1935, 70 years ago. So what is the future of the Social Security program? Tell us what you feel by calling 206-33-THINK. Any comments will be on the next podcast. You can also email thoughtpress at gmail.com. To find out how much your retirement benefit will be, go to thoughtpress.blogspot.com and click Social Security Calculator under this podcast posting. You can also watch the full explanation video of Social Security at our site, too. You may have heard already, but this is amazing. Scientists have cloned animals or discovered new chromosomes, but a 10-country international team of scientists have deciphered the genetic DNA code of rice. But listen to this. Rice contains 37,544 genes. Humans have only about 20,000. Rice is a worldwide staple, so what does this genetic blueprint hold for the future of crops? Jessica Berman tells us. Scientists have finished mapping the genetic blueprint of rice, work that could lead to a significant increase in the output of rice and other grains to meet a growing global population. Experts say more than half of the world's population eats rice as part of the daily diet. They project over the next two decades, the demand for rice will grow by 30% as the global population increases. But with present conditions, there won't be enough rice to go around. So plant geneticists have been working to identify the molecular building blocks of rice that could potentially increase yields by making the grain resistant to pests, diseases, and harsh weather conditions. In a study published in the August 11th issue of the journal Nature, researchers from 10 countries, led by Japan's International Rice Genome Sequencing Project, report pinpointing the locations of more than 37,500 rice genes along the plant's 12 thread-like chromosomes. The genetic material is tightly packed inside the nucleus of each cell and is responsible for a wide variety of plant traits. Researcher Robin Buell of the Institute for Genomic Research in Rockville, Maryland, says different strains of rice have different characteristics that make them vulnerable to various growing conditions. For example, she says some strains are more tolerant of stressful conditions but yield less than strains that are susceptible to diseases or unfavorable soil conditions. And so what you want to do is, is do something that's, that's well-known in the breeding community called hybrid vigor, where you bring the best traits from two very different parents and bring them together 
and try to make the optimal variety. So this, having the genome sequence, will sort of accelerate people's efforts to identify the genes that are important for these traits and bring them together in a, in a genetic background that's, that's most well adapted to the environmental conditions. Researchers began sequencing the rice genome in 1998. Now that it's complete, study co-author Richard McCombie of Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory in New York says the public will be able to gain free access to all or parts of the genetic information. Having the whole thing also makes, people, uh, makes it possible that people can look at just small parts of it that are most interested to them. So for instance, if, if um, scientists and breeders in, in a given country have mapped a trait that um, is very important to the agriculture uh, in their country, they can look in that region now of the genome uh, and look at that small part of the sequence and see the genes that are there. Researchers say the finished rice sequence shows that it shares many of the same genes with other cereal grains, including corn, wheat, and barley, holding out the potential for improvement of those crops as well. Jessica Berman, Washington. <laughs> The Indian Bollywood film industry produces about a thousand movies a year, and more provocative stories are replacing the typical boy meets girl or rags to riches plots, and this is part effort to expand internationally. Still, India produces films in 40 languages and dialects and earns over a billion dollars in revenue. Cinema in India is certainly thriving. Minakshi Shede is a Mumbai film critic. Indian cinema says, boss, come and do what you like. It's dubbed in three Indian languages apart from English. And with all the Tom Cruises, with all the Steven Spielbergs, with all your money in your cloud, you're 5% of our market. You will not find this anywhere in the world. Our people just adore our cinemas. There's no other word for it. Now filmmakers wish to push into the international market with movies made to appeal to many different cultures. But there's been little success. Raul Bose is a director, writer, and actor. When I watch Amores Peros or when I watch Motorcycle Diaries and I try and look for an equivalent in India, it isn't there. It just isn't there. We just have not made films that are good enough and not Western enough, not American enough, not English enough, just good enough. There's a billion people in India, but Bollywood fans circle the globe. So there's good money to be earned elsewhere. The Rising, the Ballad of Mangal Pandey, is a picture based on the legend of Mangal Pandey, an Indian soldier who led the 1857 mutiny against the British, seen by many here as the beginning of the end of the colonial rule. It's been filmed in both Hindi and English. It opened a few days ago in London, ahead of its Indian release. Mishide says that director Katan Mehta is aiming for a crossover hit. It has a great star, Amir Khan, who is certainly one of our finest actors, who is sexy as hell. It has a story that is quite deliberately and very consciously made for a global audience. You, you know only when the box office responds whether it, it made it or not. But when a film is made in Hindi and English, it's made for that audience. It's been difficult, however, to make the so-called crossover films, because the traditional storylines and big musical numbers now has great following in India. It's hard to break the mold. But British Nandi's production company makes films aimed at young English-speaking urban audiences. One film last year is about an author suffering writer's block, which he tries to break by encouraging his wife to have an affair with another man so he can observe how she changes. It didn't follow well with traditional Indian audiences. 
But uh, reviewers, as usual, promptly jumped the gun and said it was amoral, it was uh, wrong, how can a husband do this to his wife? They started doing moral posturing. As a consequence, audiences were led down that road. And um, what was actually an interesting idea seemed condemned as an immoral idea. Still, Bollywood has lots of talented actors who are willing to break boundaries, and it may be a matter of time before Bollywood gains even greater international acclaim. I'm Andy Otto, and you've been listening to Thought Press. You can always follow up on any links or stories we mention on any of our shows at our website, thoughtpress.blogspot.com. Send us an email, support us with a podcast alley vote on our website, or if you love Thought Press, you can help with a donation through our site. Don't forget, it's thoughtpress.blogspot.com. Call our listener line at 206-33-THINK if you have something to say or would like to be on the show. That's 206-338-4465. Our audio is hosted by archive.org and select content is provided by Voice of America. Check out our website and don't forget to drop us a vote, thoughtpress.blogspot.com.